Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cole. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international image, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today we are dealing with one of those questions that arises around the issue of climate change. And that is the question of greenwashing. And um, maybe more broadly, how countries, places, and other international actors signal virtue around issues of sustainability, climate, and other things that are on the world's mind right now, and whether this is effective. So this question, greenwashing, Simon, this is something that we've been looking at for a long time in the corporate sector, um, but could you talk us through how it came to be and when, when did people first start latching on to uh, the existence of greenwashing as a, um, uh, a phenomena of uh, image presentation? Well, I think individuals and corporations and other organizations started doing it the moment they realized that it could gain them public, uh, public support. So I, I suppose we're talking about a pretty recent phenomenon um, because uh, up until um, about 20 years ago, saying that you were environmentally minded or environmentally friendly would only endear you to a kooky minority of the public. Um, mm -hmm. It's accelerated massively in the last 10 years uh, to the stage now where hardly any institution, organization, country, city or region, let alone company, dares to be anything other than brilliant green. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that, that gives rise to a great deal of, 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 of what we call virtue signaling, um, people uh, reciting their virtues and organizations and places doing it. it. I suppose the interesting question for us is, is it the same thing as greenwashing for a corporation when a country or a city or a region does it? Um, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the similarities? What are the differences? And I would suggest, just for starters, that it's very much harder and arguably impossible for a place, especially a big place like a nation, to actually be consistent in its behavior. Because it, it, corporations are controlled in a way that countries seldom are. Um, and it's possible for the, um, for the executive suite of a corporation to um, mandate environmentally friendly behavior for the entire organization and the entire staff. And they can issue sanctions. They can say, if you don't perform according to those strictures, you leave. Very much harder for a country to do that. Very hard for a country to say it's against the law not to be green. And so very often countries get into tremendous difficulties when they try and trumpet their green credentials, mm -hmm. because the reality of the matter is that the right hand may be being green, but the left hand is being whatever the opposite of green is. And it's very, very hard for countries to operate a single policy with regard to the environment, because there's so many actors, there are so many political players, there are so many different groups and beliefs and approaches and values going on. Countries can't very easily be a single thing. And even the most rigid tyranny, it's very difficult for it to be a single thing. So already we have a problem 
of reality, let alone a problem of perception or of uh, of um, manifestation. Mm-hmm. I think that there are there are some countries that people automatically assume are, are green, which might not necessarily be so. Um, uh, you know the reality, the the appearance and reality of Australia is an in- interesting case where mm-hmm. Australia is is assumed to be a um, environmentally inclined country because of its sort of outdoor uh, image. Uh, but in reality, the the uh, so many provinces are 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 dominated by extractive industries. Yes. Um, there is a whole dig it up and sell it um, mentality uh, that's really quite re- repulsive. And you know, think of Australia refusing to sign the Kyoto Protocols. Um, uh, it, uh, you know that really raises questions as to whether image and reality have any connection whatsoever. I think it's fa- I think it's fading fast. I, I think um, thanks thanks to the 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 last Australian government, apart from anything else, it's become very difficult for anybody who even occasionally glances at the international news to carry on believing that Australia is either green or liberal. Um, so I. I I think I think the days of, of the default belief that Australia is environmentally friendly are, are very are, are numbered, and the right. and the irony of it is because of the lag in perceptions, people's perceptions about other countries, um, it's uh, it, it's it's probably the the current um, Albanese government who are, to all intents and purposes, doing their best to be a bit more environmentally friendly, who will still be paying the penalty for the Scott Morrison government's uh, very um, no absolutely so. Last month I was in in Paris and I was so aware of companies presenting themselves as green. London too, you know, you you everybody is uh, offering some kind of green, environmentally friendly, sustainable bonus if you if you buy that product. But do we see this going on, or how do we see countries taking part in 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 this kind of uh, self presentation? Well, you you only have to you only have to visit um, the any one of the COPs or any other environmental conference to see uh, countries and cities and regions parading their environmental uh, values and virtues. I, I think perhaps um, although we should beware of greenwashing, I don't think we should panic about it. There is a certain amount of hysteria, and a lot of people wasting an enormous amount of time and energy uh, trying to uh, dig into uh, countries credentials for claiming the things that they claim. But as as we know from experience, when wide-scale social change occurs, it occurs as a result of a very broad change in the in the swell of public opinion. That requires mm-hmm. lots and lots of people and organizations and bodies to gradually change their behavior and change their patterns of communication. And it helps that process if more and more of them are doing it. If some of right. them are doing it insincerely, that doesn't necessarily matter. Because what matters, hu- human beings only ever change when they're convinced that everybody around them is already changing. It's the only time right. that change ever happens. And so if we want wide-scale social change, perhaps we should not be too enthusiastic about stomping on the greenwashers, because in a way they're helping, not in a very good or honest way. They're free riding on everybody else's efforts, and that's bad and should be condemned. But it's not catastrophic because it does actually help that feeling that this is the way to be. 
These are the new values. Right. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's saying it. Even petroleum companies are going on and on about uh, the, the necessity of being environmentally friendly. And that just helps get the message across that this is the way we yes. should be. So it's not entirely yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's funny, Simon, talking about this, I was, I was thinking back as to when when this came in. And I remember the first time we met, which was in t- 2001, you were talking about BP having mm. developed this sunflower logo oh, yes. um, and uh, saying, you know, that they're trying to associate a petroleum company with mm. sunflower and their green uh, their green livery, uh, as if your car would now really ask to uh, stop at a BP station to be filled up because it would be more, uh, it'd be better for the for the environment. So this has been this has been a very uh, long time coming because I, I think what you're describing is absolutely correct, and this goes to uh, the power of the bandwagon effect that mm-hmm. people like to be in step with uh, wider society. So. Uh, pointing out hypocrisy um, and uh, alleging greenwashing, maybe that's part of the process too, because it makes people or holds people, holds countries and other other actors to their uh, put their money where their mouth is and really stand behind the kind of claims that they're making. So I can think you can see by just having this conversation uh, is is part of a virtuous circle. Um, and keeping climate um, at the at, at the top of the agenda. Um, it is interesting to see where people aren't talking about climate. Um, there's, there's been some research done on references to climate in popular culture, and it turns out Hollywood uh, and American TV is really staying away from climate issues. Mm. Um, maybe they feel that it's... Uh, too too divisive. Mm. It also occurs to me that this recent Supreme Court decision uh, to um, remove certain powers or uh, effectively remove the certain powers from the president's uh, portfolio, make it harder for him to limit I- emissions. Um, that's a uh, makes <laughs> that really throws a spanner in the works of. The, the self-presentation of the United States as being a, uh, a great guardian of um, uh, climate and sustainability. Um, and that, you know, right now, um, uh, John Kerry is a special ambassador for climate uh, with a mission of going around the world, promoting uh, sustainability and identifying the United States with these, um, these, these positive messages. So, where that leaves perceptions of America, I think, is, is in the same place where it's going anyway, um, which is uh, a, a growing conviction amongst larger and larger numbers of people around the world that America is not the country we look to for leadership um, in, in, in whatsoever area. And I think that one term of Trump was just about enough uh, to, uh, to to produce that effect. And it's remarkable how quickly, how suddenly, international public opinion has got used to the idea that leadership doesn't come from America anymore. Um, and uh, leadership in, in, um, in environmentalism is part of it. Um, and I think that in some respects, it's quite helpful uh, feeling that um, this 
this mega power is no longer on the right side of history. Because when you, when you hear discussions about environmentalism amongst, for example, Scandinavian countries, you can hear them saying, even if America's not helping, that means that we have to try even harder. Even though the mm. biggest polluters in the world, America and China, can't be expected to be, um, to be doing the right thing, um, that means we have to do even more. And that's a sort of cosy feeling that um, you know who your friends are, you know who your enemies are, you know what your challenges are you know what uh, uh, what the obstacles are. Um, so e even that, even the knowledge that um, America is not legislating uh, for an, a sustainable future on the whole um, is helping. This is um, a movement which is almost impossible to derail now. Well, I hope so. Um, uh, that, but that's... Uh, um, that, that One thing that I, I'm seeing is even if the United States isn't active, there's a feeling that the, that people need to be need to have the United States at least going through the motions. It reminds me a bit of uh, do you remember the end of El Cid where the old knight is now dead, but they just tie him on the horse and everyone else lines up behind him. And I wonder if, uh, in world affairs, it's easier to have the United States underperforming in a leadership position than to have uh, other countries vying for for leadership. And maybe it's easier for the Europeans to um, allow the United States to have a, a, a leadership uh, position, even if it's not delivering, rather than uh, cede leadership to to China, uh, certainly, the, or, or, or or Russia. Yes, but I, I, I agree with that, although I think that the leadership that America is ceding in specifically on the question of sustainability and climate change, it's not, it's not going to cede it to China. It's, going to, it's, it's ceding it to much smaller countries, uh, the ones who are perhaps a little more agile and a little more able and a little more willing um, to pursue uh, pro-social, pro-planet, uh, policies at, at, at the national level. Um, the, 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 the emerging middle powers, who I think of as the hipster nations. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, you're dropping this one on us. So uh, a new category of nations, the, the hipster nations, uh, who are... But now, when, when you uh, 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 speak about hipster nations... Hmm. I, I, I assume from context that you're talking about a hipster reality, that these are not virtue signaling countries, but middle powers with a genuine commitment to living sustainably and uh, rethinking the uh, approach to uh, approaches to the, the environment. Uh, am I correct, or are you? Uh, or, or are these uh, are these the genuine hipsters or the more pretentious uh, uh, faux hipsters? It's a it's a continuum. It's somewhere between uh, what 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 you what you call genuine commitment um, and and oppose. Um, and as long as it's somewhere along that continuum, it's all it's all good. Okay. Uh, very hard to so say. Follow up general. question. <laughs> Milad, follow-up question, uh, yeah. is um, name names. 
Who, who are you thinking of here? Well, I, I, the, the, who are the hipster nations there? Costa Rica, New Zealand, Scotland, um, Finland, uh, Chile. They're, they're the, Chile, yeah. Perhaps to, to some extent, although it's, um, it doesn't fit into the category quite so naturally, um, South Korea. Um, but these are, these are the countries that uh, publicly and, as the Americans would say, aggressively espouse um, liberal values, socially liberal values. Uh, environmentalism, sustainability. You, you asked me a moment ago whether they have a sincere commitment to these things. I think probably the, the most accurate answer to that is we don't know how sincere the commitment is and their behavior, for reasons I suggested before, may be patchy. But one thing is for sure, um, they have a taste for this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. They've seen it as being the direction that it makes sense for them to pursue. They've seen it as being good for their economies and good for their role in the international community. And, and, that, and that makes sense because these are soft power values and uh, middle and smaller powers uh, don't have much choice in the matter. They can't use hard power because they don't have it. And so they have to espouse whatever the majority opinion considers as being soft power at any given moment. So in a sense, it's unavoidable for them. They, they don't really have a choice. If we could jump for a moment over to the Good Country Index, who shows up as being disproportionately good in reality for the I- environment? Who, who's scoring well? Well, if you, if, if you rank the Good Country Index according to, to, to just that, um, you, you'll remember there, is, there are seven verticals, seven categories. And if you reorder uh, the countries according to uh, planet and climate alone, um, you've got Finland first in terms of its uh, contribution to uh, planet and climate, Sweden second, and Sweden, you'll remember, is number one overall. Um, but then it starts to diverge a little bit from the, uh, from the overall ranking. Uh, Switzerland comes third. And Slovenia, um, blessed, another uh, hipster nation which I forgot to mention, comes in at fourth. And I don't want people to think that I'm being caustic when I say uh, hipster nation, because the Good Country Index does measure real behavior. So if Slovenia, relative to the size of its economy, is the fourth largest contributor to planet and climate of all countries, then that's more than a pose. That's uh, really significant and, um, and, and something, uh, an example well worth following. The United States of America ranks 81st in terms of its contribution to climate. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not good. Um, you know, talking about Slovenia uh, made me think of the uh, Slovenian pavilion at the expo in Dubai, which mm. was really based around environment issues and, mm. um, uh, and identifying the country with um, uh, things green. But doesn't all this pose a real problem if we're thinking about sustainability? What are the countries of the Middle East going to do? Because they are so often tied into a, uh, a, a yeah. fossil fuel industry. Uh, are, are you seeing any attempts to reposition um, the, the, the countries of the Middle East? Well, um, they're, they're throwing money at the problem, as is their won't, and um, hoping to somehow square the circle 
um, of being perceived as being major petroleum producers and at the same time have serious green credentials. Um, I saw an ad uh, just this morning for uh, some kind of electric vehicle racing championship and the one of the primary sponsors was was Neom, um, the new Saudi Arabian city, um, which is all about sustainability and greenery and all the rest of it. So Saudi Arabia is clearly um, trying to do both at the same time. It's trying to remain a major um, uh, fossil fuels exporter and producer, whilst at the same time trumpeting its own green values and throwing money at it. Whether international public opinion will buy that contradiction or what they'll make of it remains to be seen, but um, I think people will find it difficult. Uh, no, I think <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, but uh, maybe they're better off talking about contributions to um, uh, climate uh, rather than the conversation being about human rights, because uh, you know they don't fare terribly well if if uh, that's put at the, the top of the um, uh, top of the agenda. Well, um, you know, I'm thinking of absolutely. Sorry, ju just to cut across you there. The, the, the a very important point there. We although we're tending to talk about the environment and sustainability. We have to remember, of course, that there are many severe challenges facing humanity at the moment, and that's not the only one. And there are plenty of opportunities for countries to be working hard and pushing hard on other global challenges and thus doing their profile an enormous amount of good. So I would certainly recommend to countries like Saudi Arabia probably not to bother uh, to push what is fundamentally a contradictory message uh, about their um, about their contributions to the environment. I'm not saying they should ignore the environment, far from it. They should do everything they can um, to support the environment. But trying to get themselves positioned as being a friend of the environment is probably a lost cause for quite a few years to come. So they should pick something else. Now, as you rightly say, probably not human rights because that would be even harder for them. But there are others, migration, for example, um, pandemics, other global challenges that mean a lot to an awful lot of people around the world, where they could be working very hard to make material improvements to the benefit of their own populations and to everybody else, and thus earning themselves right. a better reputation in the process. But in a way, Saudi Arabia is an interesting case because it is a prime example of a country that is always virtue signaling, but the virtues are based on a, a more traditional uh, a, a barometer of virtue, which is religious observance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the religious nature of Saudi Arabia is at the heart of their, of their image and um, uh, essential to how they represent themselves, especially to immediate neighbours. And it means, that, and those values mean a great deal to an enormous number of people. We should never fall into the trap of of, uh, of of talking as if Western liberal values were somehow universal, because of course they're not. And no, Saudi Arabia uh, is um, admired by default as being um, the, the 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 home of the two holy shrines, um, the heart of Islam. It's admired by default by uh, a great number of Muslims worldwide. Um, not perhaps automatically or 100%, um, because it has its doubters in the in the Muslim world as well. But um, I, just, just because uh, a country is troubled by a particular issue 
certainly doesn't mean that it can't make that its issue. In fact, quite the contrary. If you're known to be troubled by a particular issue, in a sense, that gives you as a country a special ability, a special privilege to be one of the prime movers in trying to sort out the problems around it. So, for example, if Saudi Arabia decided that it wanted to be the country that once and for all really did something to resolve uh, religious uh, differences around the world, um, struggles between the great religions, intolerance uh, and prejudice and so on and so forth, I think that would be very plausible because it's a country that's deeply involved with that issue and knows a great deal more about it than many others. So very often embracing the problem that you're associated with um, is a good first step towards uh, becoming useful and earning a reputation for being useful in that area. And I think in the environment, you can see how Norway, despite being an extractive country with North Sea oil and so forth, has been able to position itself as one of the countries that's trying to make a difference. Yes, it has, although I, I without, without wishing to um, speak ill of Norway, a country I admire greatly, I think it's sort of lucked into that. And I think it's lucky <laughs> that I think an enormous number of people around the world, even in Europe, simply don't realise um, that it's such a major exporter of fossil fuels and thereby such an enormous contributor to CO2 emissions. They just don't know that. Um, and I think if people did know um, uh, that, that, that Norway is a petro state, um, they, they might change their views. So I, I, when, as a historian, I've seen this coming for a long time. And one of the tip-offs that environmental approaches were going to become part of international politics was the messaging during the first Gulf War. Do you remember how the US was trying out different messages about why Saddam Hussein was a bad person? Mm. And the, the messaging around um, uh, the, the pollution in the Gulf, uh, the oil slick, and uh, the killing of seabirds got much more traction than uh, messaging about his persecution of uh, Kurds and Marsh Arabs. And, um, uh, you know, that, that, that suggested when one of these categories of behavior can move to the fore of war propaganda, you mm. know that something big is shifting. And I, I was very struck flashing forward to uh, looking at the last messages that were um, released by Osama bin Laden, that when he wanted to go after the United States in, the, in these messages, he was criticizing the U.S. for not doing more to stop uh, climate change. Hmm. And yep. that's so interesting. But moving on from this, so if, if those messages were visible as early as um, first Gulf War, so that's 30 plus years ago, what messages are emerging now that are gaining traction that are speaking to an emerging sensibility? Um, what, what, do you, what do you see out there? Do you think... Uh, um, online behavior is, uh, or um, uh, something technological is 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 creeping into um, our troll nations um, uh, being de demonized. Probably I think by hipsters. <laughs> hipsters hate the troll. What's uh, what are the emerging trends? Well, I, I think uh, technology is always important, isn't it? Because uh, technology is is so 
um, powerfully um, illustrative and so appealing and so visual. And uh, the stories that people notice and that often they retain in their minds are so often the technology's stories. Plus, we have um, two, three younger generations now who've really grown up um, worshipping technology and its role in their lives and its power in the world. So not surprising that even a very small, although very praiseworthy and hopeful initiative, um, like the, the, um, the, the Swiss inventors who, who have been developing machines for directly extracting CO2 from the atmosphere, um, gets an inordinate amount of public attention because it's so visual and it's so physical and it's so simple to understand. The problem we now understand is carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Here's a machine that just sits there and sucks it out. Now, most of the people watching those stories have literally no conception of what a minuscule, microscopic grain of sand on what a vast on a, on a vast beach that really is. But it's easy to understand, and it's in a sense a heartening story. And so, those kinds of technology fixes gain an awful lot of points to the companies, the organizations, and ultimately the countries that produce them. Whereas the stuff that really matters, the boring legislation that reduces, uh, that increases tax on, on, uh, on carbon emitting uh, industry or technologies, that's not so picturesque and it doesn't get so much credit. Um, that's the challenge. And the challenge for governments, right. if they want to be recognized for their, for their sustainable behavior, is to make sure that they do it in a way that means something to people, that it's not just, it, it, it's effective, but also not boring. Yeah, now there, and there, there is the, there is the challenge. Well, I think there's a lot more to be said about uh, creating not boring messaging or messaging that isn't scary, that de depicts this problem as being soluble rather than just, uh, you know, a, a, a fatalistic thing we can't uh, uh, do anything about. Um, and maybe we'll return to this perhaps when it's COP time uh, later, later in the year. Um, so much to think about, uh, but that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cole. And I'm still Simon Anhold. <laughs>